This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Isn't that so true? It's all right to know you need to change. And it's even better when you have a God who's there helping you in the change. Blessed be the name of our awesome God. So if you want to, you can mark Luke chapter 19. We will get there this evening. But we are talking and continuing on the teaching on biblical examples of redemption. God is a redeeming God. My whole goal in this is that you know God as a redeeming God because that is who God is. People do ask about God who don't know God, or maybe they thought they knew God, and some things take place that challenges what they thought they knew, I want you to know God redeemed, God redeems, and God shall redeem. That's who He is. He's a redeeming God. Now, I had a couple of objectives. One was to define for you redemption, give you an insight into Redemption, and then move forward into looking at biblical examples of redemption. And never forget, the motivation behind this is God's love. It's God's love. And trust me, God's love is on a plane all to itself. And I'm so glad about it. And you ought to be as well. And I do want to remind you, that his love extends to those who, maybe in their mind and maybe in the minds of others, they're hopeless. There's no redeeming value in them. <laughs> but God redeems those whom others don't count redeemable. Look in Luke chapter 15. Keep your ribbon there in Luke 19, but in Luke chapter 15, I want to remind you of this. In verse 3. And Jesus spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And you know he's saying this parable, and you know the one who's rejoicing is God. What does that do to you? God rejoices when the child who is lost is returned back home to him. And he rejoices so much, he tells others to rejoice with me. The heavenly hosts sing hallelujah because God rejoices when who was lost is restored to God. Just think about it. You didn't know what was going on at that moment. I'm I'm talking to those of you who were lost but now are found. You didn't know what was going on at that moment. But at that moment, when your heart received what God offered to you, God rejoiced and commanded the angels to rejoice with Him. And you didn't see that value in you. You didn't recognize it. (laughs) Oh, what a God. He is an awesome God. Verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven. See, someone commands praise over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. What a strong message that is. You see, because when you minister messages like this, people have been in the church a while, they're like, this is boring. Yeah, but God is getting ready to rejoice. While we're sitting up here sleeping on the message God is like, I am rejoicing over that one who hears it. That one who receives it. I don't care if the thousand of you don't get it, but there's just one in the crowd. Who is God? He's a redeeming God. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The motivation is 
God's love. And we looked at John chapter 3. Again, keep your ribbon in Luke 19. Now, this is a recurring theme to me because we're going to make it to Luke 19. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see, he cannot experience the kingdom of God. Again, the point here being is that the kingdom is there to be had. And you can observe it happen in other people's lives, but you need to be born again that you can experience it for yourself. And the key is to be born again. I want to remind you, this is a New Testament experience. And being that it is a New Testament experience, I want you to know this door is not always going to be open. But it is open today. You know, God is just an amazing God. (laughs) I'm sorry. God is just, he is just so good. Jesus put it this way, because I want you to understand, you have been placed in this day with an opportunity that is outstanding. In John chapter 9, Jesus made this statement, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because what's coming is the night when no man can work. And so you know what God is busy doing in the day? He's busy about his redeeming business. That's why for some people it seems like, why does he keep bothering me? Because he's busy. He knows that the night is coming. He knows that this door is not always going to be open, but he wants to take advantage while this door is open that you might not just observe, but experience the kingdom of God in your heart for yourself. And we looked at that and we, we tried to figure out, I mean, what is it? what's special about being born again? Now, it literally means to be born from above. And when you're born from above, you become a family member. When you're born from above, you become his responsibility. You become his child. You see, when my children cry out, I know I'm responsible. And I don't want anyone else taking care of them. If I have the means, I will take care of them. But you know I'm limited. But there is a God. There is a Father. With all power. With all authority. Who never sleeps and who never slumbers. Who hears you when you call. And who answers with power. (laughs) Hallelujah to your name. So you don't want to just observe this. You want to know it for yourself. And we looked at it, I I told you, to be born again, it also means that God is good. And I don't know how else to say this, but sometimes you don't feel it. Sometimes it's, I'm, I'm not feeling it. Have you ever used that expression before? But you know, when you're not feeling it, God's not changing. God remains consistent. <laughs> I'm so glad about it. You see, because sometimes my strength fails. But his strength never fails. You know, sometimes I don't feel like listening to somebody who has something to say to me. But God's ears are always open to the prayers of the righteous. See, that's the benefit of being born again, being his child. We looked at that. We, we, we said, hey, being born again, it also means that, you know, I'm regenerated. You, you know, the old is gone. The new has arrived. It means I've been washed. Washed cleaner than any soap can clean me. I've been washed not on the outside. I've been washed on the inside. It means I've been justified. See, it carries all of this with it. It means I haven't just been forgiven the handwriting of ordinances that were against me have been removed. God is not holding my record. And he's declared me innocent with his born again experience. Wow, again, I hear the goodness of God. Hmm. There is therefore now. No condemnation 
to them who are in Christ Jesus. And again, I'm just going off of my experience, but it's like a weight is lifted. It's like you didn't even know you were carrying it. You were just so accustomed to living with it. But when you've been justified by the only one who can clear you, him whom the Son makes free, I'm a free man. It carries with it salvation, the idea of being saved, being made whole. Born again carries with it the idea of being redeemed. Hmm. And we said to be redeemed, that's what we've been concentrating on, means to be restored. At least that's the definition I'm working with. And if you were to look at it, again, there's another definition that can be had for redemption. You know, if you pay to secure the release of something, that, that, that is redemption. Uh, but I'm telling you, in the hands of God, it's about God restoring that which was lost. And so when he's redeeming, he is restoring that which was lost. Again, God didn't lose. God's not forgetful like that. God didn't forget where he left man. <laughs> it's man who left God of his own will. Man is choosing something contrary to God even today. And with that, I'm telling you, you're lost. And God's delight, God's desire is that that which was lost be restored to what he originally intended. And so that's why he's busy about redemption. So he wants to restore that which was lost. And the thing about it is only God can do it, but uh, we've made this statement and we'll keep going over this. Redemption is of God. Redemption is of God. Now, the thing about this redemption being of God is that man is lost because man left God. Man has chosen sin, the things that are contrary to God's will, over God. And even when man tries to break free he finds that he and his own strength can't do it. And this is why I, I've said before, and this is why I want to remind you, when you're lost, you can't find your way. You need somebody to come redeem you. And redemption is of God. And I, I gave you three things that this means. It means that it's on God's standard and not man's. And that's so important. You know, I made mention of this. This is where racism comes from. This is where sexism comes from. This is where all manner of hatred and prejudices come from because man builds up their own standards. Man builds up a standard that's exclusive because man likes to feel better than somebody else. And in all honesty, man is not. You know, I mentioned things like racism, and especially in this climate. And, and, and hey, I'm, I'm just going to deal with the way it needs to be dealt with. You, you know, uh, the, uh, my black brothers and sisters are, yeah, that's right, that's right, but you're guilty too. It's all manner of prejudices. You know, you, you get upset because they married outside their race. Oh, I didn't hear any amens on that one, I don't think. Uh, you're just as guilty. But, but again, we always want to play the blame game. Yeah, they're wrong, but I'm not. <laughs> you know, which is amazing. This is age old. Because remember, those of you who know the scriptures, uh, remember in the wilderness... Miriam and Aaron had an issue with who Moses married. See, that's man's standard. And the Bible makes it plain. Go, he didn't marry an Ethiopian woman. No, there's a lot in that. I don't even want to touch on that, but there's a lot in that. He married an Ethiopian woman. You know, we get, we get messed up about marrying outside of our denomination when God didn't have an issue when they married in their faith. There is a difference. Um, but... I digress. But getting back to the point is, you know, you sit up and you point fingers at this person, you point fingers at that person. That's you and your own standard. When in all honesty, we're all guilty. There's not a one of us clean. We're all dirty. We're all filthy. We're all foul. We're not lovely. <laughs> See, this is why God is so good in the redeeming aspect. Because in all honesty, you've given him pretty much nothing to work with. And he still redeems. 
Redemption is of God. It means it's on God's standard and not man's. It means that God alone redeems. I like this. Uh, this, this gets me going. He alone. Your redemption is not in the determinate hands of man. Man doesn't get to keep you again. I, I just love the episode of Jonah. I just love it so much. Jonah's like, God, they don't deserve it. God's like, you don't redeem, I do. <laughs> and I don't need your opinion. They're going to be redeemed. Which, again, people get caught up with Jonah and him running. In all honesty, the point of this message is God's going to redeem. He's going to find a way to get this message across. And who Jonah saw as irredeemable, God said, no, no, they're redeemable. And so I want you to know, redemption is God's design. It is his desire and it is his Work. Let that sink in. These are powerful words, people. Concepts. This is you getting to know God, the redeeming God. It's His design. He put it together. And it's His desire. He wants it more than anybody wants it. This is why I'm telling you, you pray for those that you love that are not redeemed. God wants them redeemed more than you do. So you don't tell me that he doesn't hear your prayers. Oh, he hears it. So it's his design. It's his desire. And then it's his work. And I like how Jesus put it. He's like, you want to do work? The only work God has given you to do is just believe. God's taking care of all of it. So God is redeeming. And redemption is of God. It's on his standard, not man's. You need to know God alone redeems. And then the person of redemption is God himself through Jesus Christ. That's another awesome. You know, every, every move God makes, it's just awesome. I, I don't have any other words for it. Just awesome, just wonderful, just marvelous, outstanding. Redemption required an individual. Why? Because God is holy, He is righteous, and He is just. He cannot let a sin slide by. Did you hear me? Not one sin. He can't let one stray word that should not have been said go without being paid for. He can't let one lie go unaccounted for. Even the white lies. Do you hear me? You know, I would tell people this. I don't care if it was a Jolly Rancher you stole. Somebody has to pay. And God is the chief justice. He's responsible. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't be counted as righteous and just if he let Sin slide by. And we're all guilty, each and every one of us. I know it's hard to believe. Mama who raised me, she was guilty. Daddy who loved me, he was guilty. Grandmama and granddad, they were guilty. It's hard to believe those that I care for so much, we were all guilty. We all came from the same blood. Hmm. Each and every one of us. And somebody had to pay. So God. Wow, I, I love it. We're not going back there, but, but in Second Corinthians chapter 5, I love how Paul puts it. And all things are of God. Did, did you hear me? All things are of God. That statement in itself stands by itself. God did it all. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We weren't looking to reconcile. So he initiated it. I'm sorry, I got to go there. I, I got to go there. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm trying to move. We're going to get to Luke chapter 19. <laughs> 
All things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. We weren't looking for it. In all honesty, we didn't know we needed it. But we needed it. And we're the ones, remember, we're the ones who walked away from Him. We're the ones who played adultery. with the God who we were supposed to be committed to. I mean, after all, it was God who created us and not we ourselves. So who do we belong to? God. And when we chose someone else other than God, it's as if we were married and we slept around. But God's so desirous of being reconciled. Didn't wait for you to make the first move. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together. Do you hear that? Sounds like somebody's in love. <laughs> let that sink in. Somebody's in love. And this is God coming to us who had turn our backs to him. And he comes and says, even though you've turned your back on me, come now. Let us reason together. Let us be reconciled. Saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet. See, this, this is the thing that needs to be dealt with. This is what has separated us from him. They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, if we're going to reconcile, if we've got to get together, we've got to deal with this sin thing. But how, who's going to pay? There needs to be a person. But all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Again, I, I don't know if people caught that. I hope you caught that. When I was trying to emphasize that last time. All the action is performed by God. There's a saying... In the sports world, and I remember when this individual first said it, and next thing you know, it's now a part of, uh, of their regular verbiage. Uh, but someone said, you may, why don't you let me buy the groceries? In other words, won't you let me make the decisions of who to bring in and who not to bring in? I want you to know this about God. God not only provides the funds for the groceries, he goes out and buys them. He bags them himself. He puts them in the car. He drives the car home. He unbags them. He puts them up. When it's time to eat, he preps. <laughs> then he cooks. Then he plates. Then he places it before you, and all you have to do is eat. And all things are of God. He did it all. And what do we do? We say, we don't want to eat the food you give us. But I hear the scriptures say, taste and see. That the Lord is good. See, run to your lovers. But when you taste and see what God has prepared, you'll hate your lovers. Why did it take me so long to just surrender to the reconciling work? So somebody had to pay. So God had to say, you know what? Who shall go? So Christ came from the bosom of the Father. Because without somebody paying, there is no reconciliation. There is no redemption. There is no restoration for them that are lost. We would be lost still. But redemption is of God. It's on His standard. He alone redeems. And the person of redemption is God Himself through Jesus Christ. <sighs> Amen. Amen. He does it all. And I made the statement to you last time, and I hope this, this sunk in. The power of his might is not in the miracles of the Old Testament. It's in the born-again experience. So I told you, redemption is the miraculous, the merciful, the gracious move of God to place you in right place with him. He's doing all the work. 
it is truly miraculous. <clears throat> no one else can redeem but God. I, I, I really don't know how to relate this to you, but if you are familiar with the ten plagues of Egypt, you remember how it started out with the water turned to blood? and Well, if you go back, you'll find out that Pharaoh had some, I'll call them magicians, who were able to replicate up to a point. But then God made a difference. <laughs> See, there's some things that, that you can do that aren't that incredible, but then there's something that God is doing. Because remember, that really was an example of redemption. We, we saw it in Psalms. He redeemed them. That was an example of redemption to us. Showing us that it takes great power that God alone has to turn a sinner into a saint. Amen. Glory to your name. You don't, people testify to you. You don't even understand. You? It's the miraculous. It is the merciful. <laughs> it is the gracious move of God. See, I didn't do any work. I just believed. And what does believe mean? It means I have fully embraced it with my heart. I didn't just make a confession with my mouth. I embraced it with my heart. And I love God so much. Because when he sees that sincere heart, he will in no wise cast it out. Though man will cast shadows of doubt. Man will question your sincerity. And the validity of what's going on. God has cleared you of all charges. There's no condemnation. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You have peace with God. And if God be for you, who cares who's against you? Now turn to Luke chapter 19. I told you to mark it and I left it. Luke chapter 19. Let's look at this example. And we'll introduce you to the three key players in this record as we go through it. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, I want to draw your attention here. The first two key players we've run across are Jesus, because remember, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So Jesus, of course, is a key player here, and then there's Zacchaeus. But the first thing I want to draw your attention to, and some of you know this record of Zacchaeus and Jesus. But first thing I want to draw your attention to is that in verse number one, it says, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I want you to think about this because Zacchaeus is us. But Jesus was not his intention. I'll put it this way. He knows what he was going to do. But his plans that his people were aware of didn't include stopping in Jericho. See, when it says he was passing, it means he had some other place to be. He was en route to some other location. So, to the average eye, he won't be here long. So, in everybody's mind, Jesus has more important business to tend to than anything that's in Jericho. And then in verse 2 it says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. So here it introduces to us this man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is singled out. Okay? And we're going to see that you know, there's a lot of people here, but he's singled out. And the question should be, why is he singled out? What makes him so special? 
Well, a lot of people, you know, this is what we do in, in, in our society. When you're rich, you're special. But I want you to know, his riches are not what makes him special for this record. What makes him special is he's lost. Uh, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Go back to Luke 15. You don't have to turn there, but go back in your mind. And remember, I'd leave the 90 and the 9 to go after the one. And again, it's very interesting to me because are there not other lost people in this region? Doubtless, yes. Without a doubt. But there's something different about Zacchaeus. We've got to keep reading for that. And now, the other thing about Zacchaeus is that it says he was chief among the publicans. Now, here's the thing about publicans. If you don't know, it's an often used term in the New Testament. It is referring to a profession. It is sometimes referred to as, I think in the scriptures it's more commonly referred to as publican or tax collector. And it's also known in terms as a tax farmer. Okay. This is Rome's way of collecting taxes from the regions that they have control over. So what they do is they broker out tax collection. What do I mean by that? They bid out who collects the taxes. And so evidently Zacchaeus was one of the people who bidded on the ability to take up taxes. Now keep your ribbon there in Luke chapter 19 and let's look at this in chapter 3 of Luke. Luke is pretty thorough in his writing. Luke chapter 3. Verse number... Well... <laughs> Let's start at verse number 10. Now this is in the middle of John preaching in the wilderness. John the Baptist, he's preaching in the wilderness. And he says in verse 10, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized. And said unto them, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. So, in other words, John the Baptist, you know, you've got to like a preacher who preaches. <laughs> you know, he's not missing words. He says, you steal. Stop stealing. And so, it is known, popularly known. And now, I don't like to cast broad brushes saying every publican is like this. But, my goodness, the scriptures don't seem to cut publicans much slack. So it seems like it's almost part of the job description that if you're a publican, you're going to take more than you're supposed to take. Because you can imagine, right? So, so here it is. I'm a publican. I'm a tax farmer. And I hear from the Roman government, this is how much taxes I need to see. Okay? Well, I've heard from the Roman government, but you haven't. And all you know is I can mess up your life. So let's do a shakedown. Since that's what John the Baptist said, stop shaking people down. So you're taking more than what's right. You're not, you're not taking that which is fair. And again, I understand now, it's a profession and there ought to be some amount of money made, but it was kind of outrageous. So in, in other words, now imagine this. Not only are they collecting taxes for somebody who has jurisdiction over you, who is not you, but they take it from you. And they're your own people. <laughs> Think about that now. Your own people, working for the people you don't like, stealing from you for their benefit on behalf of an occupying nation. So you can imagine 
that they weren't too well liked. And in all honesty, if you were a publican, despised was probably an often used adjective when it came to a publican. As far as the Jews are concerned. You're one of us, but you get rich off of us on behalf of the occupiers. You know, in all honesty, I, I just find this hard to believe. <sighs> Can I say it that way? Well, you know, I, if they had country music back in the day, I'd imagine one of the popular songs would be Mama's. Don't let your babies grow up to be publicans. In other words, I don't think mamas liked their children when they were publicans. Like, I didn't raise you to take on a profession like this. So you can only imagine the attitude that the nation had against you as a publican. Keep your ribbon there in Luke chapter 19. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5. You see, because in all honesty, to be a publican, that's almost like a cuss word. Matthew chapter 5. Verse. Well, Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? Wow. Let's start at verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. Now, now think about that. Here you are, you're a publican in the crowd, and said, you know, that stuff is, even the publicans do that. You're thinking to yourself, even? <laughs> what are you trying to say? You don't think much of us publicans? No. And Jesus is using the society and the ideas of their society in that time to make a point. So he's letting us know how the nation views them that are publicans. <laughs> and if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Wow. Look at this in chapter 18 of Matthew. Let's start at verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them. Now, now again, understand this. So you identify somebody who's in the wrong, doing wrong. You go to them and they refuse to hear you. I don't care. I'm not changed. The Bible says, okay, go ahead and take somebody else with you. And let them together, let you together with them, tell them that you're wrong. You know, it's not just me. We've got these others who are, are credible witnesses with me telling you that your lifestyle is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. Your actions are wrong. You need to stop this. Don't go any further with this. And if they were just refused, they're like, no, nah, forget it. I'm going to do wrong. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them... Tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. <laughs> Sorry. So publican is on the same level as heathen. You publican. Wow. You just cursed me out. That's the publican. So when we look at Luke 19 and we're introduced to Zacchaeus, 
the Bible is sure to let us know who we're dealing with. And not only is he a publican, he's chief of the publicans. I mean, I, you know, you might hate your local tax collector, but the one who's over the local tax collectors. And, and, and again, this is why I like to say this. Now, I, I can't say for sure that every publican was rich, but the Bible points out this is Zacchaeus. Now, he was rich. That's the terminology the Bible used. Now, he was rich. Now, if there are any questions about any publican, this chief of the publicans, he was rich. I wonder how he got rich. Now, I really don't wonder, and I don't believe any of those people who lived in this region wonder. They knew where he got his money from. This heathen. This publican. No, here it is. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. All right. I got to come down. No, I can't go there. Uh, but, but here it is. We see, you know, we complain about the CEO driving a fancy car, right? <laughs> and, you know, they think, we think they're overpaid anyway. But to think he's driving the car with your money. He won't be so popular. But, but let me tell you this. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. You know, there are a bunch of people in the crowd who called him a heathen, wish they had his money. <laughs> Someone probably would be willing to tra- trade wherever they were for what he had. And he was rich. And he was chief of the publicans. Back to Luke chapter 19. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. So, so if publicans are a heathen, he's a head heathen. A rich head heathen. So you know he's not popular. And he sought to see Jesus. Amen. He sought to see Jesus, who he was. He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. Wow, there's a lot in this. Oh, there's so much in this. First of all, it said he sought. It means he took measures. He didn't just say, well, you know, if, if Jesus happens to pass his way, well, I'll see him. Maybe I won't. No, no, he said, I'm going to see Jesus. Wow. But he couldn't for the press. So so he's one among many. A lot of people are trying to see Jesus. But he sought. Glory to your name, God. You don't get it, do you? You see, when you get there early, you know, that's part of your seeking. (laughs) Right? You get there early, but you get there early and you find that others got up earlier than you. And then you're trying to find another spot. So you go to the next spot and you find somebody right there before you. But you're looking, you're searching. But there's so many people in the press. Now, now, now here's the thing about it. Those people in the press weren't pointed out, but Zacchaeus is. Wow, I'm, I'm sorry. This, this, to me, this, is, this speaks volumes to me. Because we've got a lot of people pressing, but not a lot of people seeking. Zacchaeus sought. Amen. Glory to your name. He sought. You know what happens when people seek among the press? The people who are pressing, you know, they've had a good seat. They had a good location. No, 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 you're not getting me. I'm talking to the church now. See, because we press in. And we have our favorite seats. But then somebody who had heathen comes in. And we're not convinced that they're here for real anyway. They must want something or want somebody. See, but Zacchaeus saw. He was not going to be dissuaded because of the press. And it's a shame when the church is the press that keeps those who are seeking from seeing. And I want to apologize to you who are Zacchaeus is out there right now. So you went to church, but they looked at you funny and, and didn't respond to you and didn't talk to you and, 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 you know, 
murmured on the side. They were wrong. But redemption is not on the church's standing. It's not up to the determinate hands of the church. It is up to God. See, it's His design. It's His desire. And it it is His work. And He sought to see Jesus who He was and could not for the press because He was little of stature. And He ran before. Now, Now, here's one of the interesting things about the Bible. You don't find many men running. (laughs) Just just, just search it out. You know, especially in the New Testament. You you just don't find men running. This man ran. See, he's seeking. He is serious. I want to see Jesus. Wow. It shouldn't be that hard today for the Zacchaeuses of this day to see Jesus. He should be plain in you and he should be plain in me. And there should be examples in the workplace. There should be examples out and about. There should be examples at home. There should be examples in neighbors. There definitely should be examples in the church. But even if they're not, Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to find. You know, this, I don't know how to explain this to you, but, but this just takes me back. This takes me back because there was a point in my life where I was, uh, God, you've got to be real. But I would go places and I wouldn't see them. I would look at people who call themselves Christians and didn't see Jesus. And so what did I do? <laughs> I heard it said on one Sunday morning. What did I I do? Well, I moved over. (laughs) Well, I know God is real. You may not be, but I know God is real. So if I have to work through the press to see my Jesus, I'm going to see Jesus. So Zacchaeus, I can relate. Sometimes the press is in the way. But when my heart is toward him, I'm going to seek him in spite of the press that's in my way. So he ran before. Now, you don't see this episode, remember? So you get there, you think you're getting there early, somebody's already there. So, okay, let me go, let me go down a little bit. Oh, somebody's already there. Then you've got to figure, you know, I've got to pick up the pace. I'm going to get someplace before anybody else gets there so I can see Jesus. So he's running. So he ran before climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now, I want you to understand this. This is so good, too. I mean, for all his riches, it didn't help him see Jesus anymore. It didn't help him to see Jesus at all. Listen to me. Listen to me, people. Never come to a conclusion about what a person doesn't or does need based on what they presently have. This is so important. This is a message to this nation. We think because we have more bonds than other nations. We think because we have more resources than other nations. We think because we have more money than other nations, God must be smiling on us. And we assume because of what we presently have, we don't need God. I'm telling you, we need God. Oh, we need Him. And we say, well, look at what we have. No, you can't come to a conclusion about what you need based on what you presently have. What you're holding on to is fool's gold. The Bible says it plainly, trust not in uncertain riches. You see, but one thing is certain, the redeeming God. Remember, what does it mean to be born again? It means when we're not consistent, He is. When we can't be counted on, He can be counted on. When all our valuables fail us, He never fails. When that relationship that we thought was going to last for a lifetime, lasts for days, weeks, months, maybe a few years, God does not fail. He won't fail you. 
The money you think you have today can be quickly gone. You know, if we learn anything in this pandemic, we ought to learn this. Uh, man's not in control. Man's not in charge. What you have today can be gone tomorrow. And the nation can't stop it. I don't care if you voted for the individual who's in office, you find out that they're limited. And if there's anything that should be a message in this time, trust in God. Keep it simple. Trust in God. Because I'll have you to know this. God knew it was coming. And the last I heard, you know, we have a helper. A comforter. Who would tell us before things happen. (laughs) So that we are, Sunday morning, prepared. He told Noah... You know, there's going to be rain like you ain't never seen before. So it's time to start preparing. See, that's when you are in the family. Uh, No, that's when you are born from above. That's when God gives you the insight so that you are prepared. We say it this way. I I didn't know this was going to happen, but God. (laughs) See, that's what... Nicodemus was observing. He was observing the but God. The Jesus said, unless you be born again, you can't have but God for yourself. And he ran before. Climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. And saw him. And said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Oh, this is awesome, people. This is awesome. Remember, there's such a press. He can't get a good view. He has to run to get ahead. And not only can he not stand on the side, he has to climb up in a sycamore tree. So of all the people that were there, all the lost people that were there, Jesus saw him. Just like Jesus sees you. I can only imagine what was going through Zacchaeus' mind. You see me? Wait, wait a minute. You see me? I heard about your sermon on the mount. I heard when you said, if we love those who love us, We're no better than the publicans. I'm a public. I'm the chief of the publicans. You see me? Now, now here's the thing about what Jesus sees. When Jesus sees, he doesn't see the outside. I mean, that's obvious to him. But he sees what's going on on the inside. See, this is what makes Zacchaeus stand out from all the others who are lost. His heart was ready to embrace. And let me tell you this. Jesus didn't need to make eye contact <laughs> to see Zacchaeus. Because, you know, all the running, wow, all the climbing, that's man's effort. But last I heard, last I checked, redemption is God alone redeems. He doesn't need your effort. To redeem you. So all of Zacchaeus' effort did not... How can I say this? You don't have to go to church so many times before God will accept you. You don't have to... You don't have to go through pain. You know, God is putting me through this. No, God's not putting you through... What God wants to put you through is redemption. He wants to reconcile you. He's not putting more effort on you because your efforts are worth nothing. At the end of some services, people like to make you cry. But you don't need to cry tears for God to receive you. See, all that Zacchaeus did, he did because his heart was ready. And I want you to know this. Jesus will 
find his way to you if your heart is ready. And I like his terminology here. He says, Zacchaeus, first word is Zacchaeus, or the next two words, make haste. Wow, now you're missing that, aren't you? Time is important. You see, because we said it before, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. But the night's coming. Make haste, your heart is ready. Don't delay. Let's get this taken care of right now. Make haste, come down, because today I must abide. What wouldn't work? I must abide at your house? No, 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 you don't understand that. It seems as though Jesus is inviting himself. No, he's already been invited. He's already been invited. See, that's what he sees. He sees a heart. Oh, my goodness. You've got to understand this. this. This is the woman with the issue of blood. Remember, there was a press then. But she, because she was convinced, said, if I could just touch but the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And Jesus, once he was touched by her, said, who touched me? See, she didn't need to climb a sycamore tree. No, no, someone made an appeal to him who came with God in him, reconciling the world to himself. Didn't need to climb a sycamore tree. No, 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 no. Jesus responds to the heart. And I can only imagine, I can only imagine how unworthy Zacchaeus had been made to feel. No, wow, you're missing this. See, he had church people talking about him. Talking bad about him. Talking about how no good he is. And I want you to understand this. Don't confuse what you have done for what you are bound to be. Don't confuse that. You see, because what happens is people try to box you in and say, that's been your track record. That's who you've been. That's who you are. That's who you're going to be. See, that's man's standard. But I hear the scriptures speak to me. I, I hear this. When that rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, go, sell what you have, get to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sad. And Jesus had explained to them how hard it was for someone who had riches or whose riches had them to enter into the kingdom. And Jesus goes on to say, yeah, 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 I, I see you disciples, and, and you're just, oh my goodness, who can be saved? Because we wanted to be rich ourselves. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. Right, right? What's impossible to man is possible for God. I'm out of time. <laughs> I'm out of time. But I'm telling you, God is a redeeming God. We got to a place we need to get to. That's fine. We got to a place we need to get to. You know, some of us can relate. Some of us can relate. Uh, some of us were the worst in some category. Called so by somebody. And, and that had an opportunity to beat us down. But when we heard of Jesus, when we heard of the redeeming God, he had our heart. And then he said, you know, we didn't have his physical presence, but he said, I must abide at your house today. I'm so glad he saw me. I'm so glad he saw me. In the press, when it seemed like there were so many other people. Why don't you spend time with these other people, Jesus? I mean, they go to synagogue on a regular basis. They're at the temple. They, 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 they pray all the time. But Jesus is on a mission. 
when you think he doesn't have time, when, he think he's, when you think he's just passing through, he must be about the Father's business. And when your heart reaches out to him, he'll see you and he will abide with you. I've got to stop. But this speaks of his goodness. The thing that makes God so good is not he's good to you who are good. He's good to you who are bad. He's good to the sorry. He's good to the pitiful. He's good to those who just are not lovely. And the truth be told, that was me. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.